pronounce your name correctly for me. Hi, Matthew. So my name is Yuste Yanudita, but you can just call me Yuste. Yuste. Okay. Yes. I'm very bad with names. I might forget that about halfway through. So I apologize in advance. Don't worry. So you are, <laughs> I know I'm really bad with some things, but you're a curator and according to your Instagram, a producer. Now, we all know what a curator is. Please define a producer for me. Well, essentially, just a word that I use to, I guess, describe me being a culture manager. And what I meant by being a producer was just that I, I do work with commissioning a work of art. And that doesn't only include, you know, the conceptual part. So it doesn't mean that I only discuss ideas and write texts. But... I also really do with all aspects of commissioning new works of art. So, you know, anything from just fundraising to communicating it, presenting it. So I just use this word producer to describe maybe a much broader sort of field of what is included in essentially uh you know, getting the works out there. So why well, I used the word, but it could be many words, really. It's lovely. Now you used, okay, I saw your name associated with the Rupert. Now, is it a, did you work there or do you work there? Because I saw sort of an end date of 2019. So yeah, basically I joined Rupert first as a curator in 2013. And then I soon became a director of the institution. So I was a director for six years until 2019. And then I decided to join the board at Rupert. So essentially, I'm still very involved, but maybe not on a daily basis. Uh, yeah, and it's a very important institution in my life. I'm curious how you heard about it. I have no idea how I heard about it. I probably did a Google search for uh, residencies. That's probably how it popped up. Exactly. So I guess even though there were many programs running in Rupert, so anything from exhibitions, alternative education programs, but residencies, I guess, was the part that was most prominent and heard about. And yeah. So it was a very important part of, I guess, uh, the whole Vilnius art scene and European art scene, I guess. Oh, yeah. Residencies are very important to the European art scene, for sure. So, okay, do you, now were you part of the residency program while you were there and or as a board member? Well, so exactly, I started this program, yeah, seven years ago now. So I started together with my team this program. And at the beginning, I guess, we, we were really trying very different format. And then uh, eventually we kind of learned what worked and what didn't work. And so we became a lot more flexible in a way. 
tell me what yeah. what did you learn what did work what didn't work i mm -hmm. love those <laughs> so i guess like very many different things from just like the very i guess technical aspects that not every artist can you know take three months out of their life out of their like work family teaching careers and so on and just just come somewhere for like a long period of time that starts at exactly the same day so after we did like maybe a couple of first rounds we just realized we needed to be a lot more flexible and really adapt to the artists and curators needs because essentially it wasn't just a residency for artists it was really for people from very different i guess disciplines too so not just contemporary art but also you know researchers of architecture or design people working even with game development and yeah artists curators activists so so yeah we became i guess like a lot more flexible and tried to adjust also to the time frame that they had the commitments that they had because Essentially, it's much better that someone could come and really spend like a focused month or even three weeks rather than just come for like a three month period and then just go do all the shows and commitments somewhere else, come back, you know. So it's just, I mean, so many things because with residencies, you know, it's not really just about you know, the kind of curatorial feedback and helping them develop their project. But it's also like you become the host of those people. So like the hospitality aspect becomes really important. So it's like they're really seeing the whole like Vilnius and Lithuania and the whole art scene through what you show them and what how you communicate things. But yeah, like even from the very, you know, these like technical aspects to obviously adapting to each of their projects because every residency ultimately has something i guess like distinctive about about them so because in Lithuania we don't have you know a huge budget to spend maybe on like production because we had like 30 residents a year so obviously it would have to be very big allowances but we try to really compensate that by individual work and individual attention. So there would always be people to give you feedback. We would really try to connect them to local curators. So they would come see their work. A lot of the time collaborations would be born this way and they would get invited to come back again and to collaborate. Some residents even ended up moving to Vilnius from UK or the US. So I guess like also the thing that we had to really adjust to each project and the needs of each artist also creatively. So, you know, one day you would be looking for like a clairvoyant to aid one project and then another day you'd be like auditioning someone and that was one of the things that we had to really, that we only learned, you know, you cannot learn it from theory, but you also, just as it goes, you're learning a lot and trying to adapt. Certainly. Now, when it comes to residencies, I'm always fascinated about sort of the process by which they're chosen because, okay, so like, I'll make this all about me. 
I've applied for residencies in the past and I have never gotten any residencies. Now, I have no idea what I did wrong because, of course, they never gave me any feedback as to what what they were looking for that I didn't match up with. So like when you're when you all as the people receiving the applications, what are sort of the what's the hierarchy? So the work the quality of the work is first and then the what the CV and then the the statement of what you're going to do. Like for instance, are people expected to have an end result when they go to your residency? So is there an outcome in expected or is it just sort of open time for investigation? So sorry, that was a lot of questions. I, no, no, the question is very good and very relevant. But to be completely honest, like every residency has uh, a kind of a plan or uh, the, the way they work uh, on their own. So it's really like what I can answer is only how we would select uh, residents at Rupert, but this doesn't necessarily apply to every resident, a, a residency. So perfectly fine. No, no. Yeah. Perfectly fine. I'll I'll go talk to them separately. Yeah. This is just about the Rupert. So, well, to to be like honest with you, it doesn't even because you say you applied and you maybe didn't get accepted. I think it's it doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with your application or your portfolio because majority of the artists don't get in just simply because it's too competitive. So like as I said, like for example, we had 30 spots every year and it would be like hundreds and hundreds of applications. So ultimately, you know, 95 percent of the people don't get them. And when I say that every residency considers uh, their priorities very individually, it's very true. And there are a lot of residencies that, you know, only require like a CV, a portfolio, and then they evaluate based on that. So just, just these things, you know. And for us, it was always very important, this like also personal work, personal like communication, because all of our programs were very intertwined so the resident i mean it's not a residency rupert where you just get the key to the studio and you know you're just left alone for that one or two months to work on your own but it was really a very sociable program in a way i mean you weren't necessarily expected to get involved in everything you know or always do like communal dinners or something or teach necessarily, but we thought that, for example, people could benefit the most who did have like an interest maybe in something that either the Vilnius art scene could offer or some of the things that were happening in Lithuania could offer. So for us, it wasn't always like as important like how much the artist has achieved. So obviously we would get applications from artists who have shown in major museums around the world, like whether it's, uh, you know, the Tate or Pompidou, but it wasn't the defining factor for us. Like we really tried to see also like their motivational letter and like what was the reason that the artists really, why they wanted to be there out of all residencies, out of all the cities. Yes, you were gonna. Yes, I, I want to interrupt on that because you bring up a sure. good point. When writing a, an application, basically the 
the whatever this collective curator artist that's applying needs to write some sort of motivational letter. What makes for a good motivational letter? Well, you know, there's again no single answer because even in the same jury, there are always you know different preferences and opinions. But there are obviously exactly some things that will make it stand out more. So, so like one of them exactly would be just to explain why you need to, why why the person wants to go to that like let's say residency. You know what are the reasons? Because I guess like you go through hundreds and thousands of applications and you don't want to be just receiving the same letter of motivation that the artists send, you know, to 30 different institutions. They want to see why this artist needs to be in that place or with that team. So this is one of the things that will, in a way, make it more personal and that you can feel the person's motivation rather than they're just doing it just to have like another record in their CV that they went, that they attended this residency. So this is one of the things. Also, I mean, it really, really depends. But for us, like we really encouraged if the residents were interested in alternative education because we did run parallelly an alternative education program. So if in some way the resident either wanted to participate or organize an event for that. That was something else that maybe was interesting to the team. And then again, yeah, sure. Wait, expand on what exactly is alternative education. You're throwing out a lot of terms and I wanna get them defined as we continue on. Of course, alternative education, it's like very similar to like residencies. It's like a kind of a program. It just means like it's a non-diploma, education. I guess you must have been hearing a lot about these lately. We just started to emerge in like Europe and some other countries. Obviously in the States, you had them a lot earlier, like starting, I think in the seventies or something. But in Europe, essentially like these programs are really, it really depends on the context of each country where it's happening. So, you know, in, in some places, it's really based on like reading groups, uh, discussions, joint projects, sometimes community projects, like at the Open School East in London. But in Lithuania, because there were other things maybe missing, we tried to really make this program, arrange this program in a sense that artists could really gain some of the things that they weren't getting in the context of Vilnius at the time. So network, which we discussed earlier, being one of them, for example. So what we would do, uh, it wasn't just the reading groups and it wasn't just group projects, but also we would really try to invite curators and artists from Lithuania and from around the world to really meet the participants. We didn't call them students because it's not a, it's not formal education, but and we would really try to give them the opportunity to have these studio visits, to get feedback, and also to meet them so that maybe they could recommend also someone they could speak to. Or, you know, we had like, so we had each of these participants had like a project at the end. 
So it could be, for example, opening a contemporary art bookstore in the city of Kaunas in Lithuania, and then they would get connected to like a publisher in London, and maybe they would have like some feedback. So, so yes, but that only partly, I guess, answers your question. No, that directly answers my question. I completely okay. understand. I just wanted to sort of get a sense of that. Yeah, so it wasn't just a program for those, you know, graduating from academy it could also be someone, and it wasn't just for young artists. You could be like, for example, like already an established, you know, photographer or architect, and you would want to take that year to really rethink your practice and maybe enter another field. So that has also happened. And there were also some people from other fields who entered the, I guess, context of contemporary art, so. Okay, within that, so so these teachers, are these uh, international teachers who come and, and sort of, you know, engage with Lithuania and its um, culture, or is it Lithuanian teachers that outsiders come and take classes from? For alternative education program? Yes. Or it was a bit of both. So whereas like residencies was mostly an international program, mostly international participants, the alternative education program was primarily for Lithuanians. But again, there were people who came from you know new zealand or london scotland different places to participate for that year later on we realized we actually it wasn't so easy with visas so because we're not a university so it was not so easy so then it became primarily europeans but it's mostly mostly lithuanian participants and then well, not exactly teachers, they're like contributors in a way. So they're both local and international. I would be happy to come and run a class. Thank you for asking. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, of course. It's good to know. I am not someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's sort of the question is like, can, like, so let's say I'm an, a teacher somewhere and I would like to go to Lithuania and teach some classes there. Is mm -hmm. that an opportunity that the Rupert offers? I guess so, yeah. Usually the invitation comes from the team, but we can always forward the interest letters to the team. So, of course, I think it's, uh, especially if you're based in Prague and you're close by, you understand the context, so. I have an EU, like, employment thing, so I can do that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's just me. So you don't have to worry about visas with me. <laughs> I'm not someone okay. inviting anymore. I was for, yeah, seven years, but. It's fine. I'm totally just jesting, but. but no, but obviously this happens a lot. Yeah. But again, just to explain, it's not always just about like the formal education. So if it's a young artist, we don't necessarily get like a mentor that's like, an artist, it could be even like a scientist, a biologist, it could be a, a choreographer. Um, it's not about like this direct education, but also like just getting you sometimes out of your comfort zone, out of like the things that you're used to working with or the ways you're, you're usually thinking. So, all right. 
Now, moving forward, you are currently uh, what I'm going to I'm going to define independent curator, would that be correct? This year, yes, I am. Okay. What are when I think about curators, I always wonder how does that sort of job work? Like so are you sitting at a cafe and you're suddenly inspired to, you know, make us uh, an entire exhibition about something and then you go and sort of like track down the artists is it you know what what in starts or starts you down the path of let's say an exhibition is it your own inspiration are you handed some ideas is it based on some art that you've seen or artists you've met or is it like books you read how do you do this I think uh, every curator really has their own <laughs> way of doing things so there are those that are interested like in a very narrow topic and then research that topic for 20 years. How I like to go about exhibitions is really start from the artists whose work I'm interested in and then seeing what they, what is it that they want to do as a show. So I do a lot of solo shows with, with emerging artists or uh, mid-career artists and I really try to see what is it that they're what like that's relevant to them now so it's more based on the dialogue so for example a couple years ago I was uh, really interested in the work of Lina Lapelita, Lithuanian artist who last year participated in the Venice Biennial and then I was really curious what like a performance art solo show would look like with her because she has done a lot of performances all around the world, but uh, she has never had like a solo show. So for me, it was just curious to develop a dialogue with her and see what are the, some of the topics that she was interested in. And so I usually start, even when I do group projects, group exhibitions, I really depart, I would say, from the topics that are discussed in their work rather than trying to, you know, suggest my own topic and then asking artists to uh, to adjust their work to my topic. But this is just my personal, just my just the way I usually work. Obviously, it really depends sometimes. Well, it sounds like there's a different approach for you between the idea of a solo show and or a group show. Like, I, I think my question was based on the idea of how do you do group shows, okay. which I, I okay. wasn't clear about. Okay, okay. So, well, first of all, so like, is there a dramatic difference in your approach to a group show versus a solo show? And if so, sort of how do you do either or both? Yeah, obviously it's like a very big difference. And whereas like really I consider the artist uh, to be the leader of uh, that uh, solo project and more go along with their proposal. With group show, yes, you are uh, the person communicating the idea of each exhibition. But still, I would say that even the topics that I suggest like for group shows, they're, they're really emerging from the work of artists that I've been seeing. So I actually think I even start to think, yeah, first of all, visually, and then contextualize it in text as well, I would say. But yeah, it really depends. So I, I just really try to 
I never, you know, my shows, they never emerged from like, oh, I need to, you know, do a show now or like, you know, I have an invitation or something. I really kind of have um, these ideas. They just uh, come uh, through seeing work, through going to like a lot of artist studios, going to exhibitions, even art fairs, and then just seeing the work. And I really like to not just, you know, go to only like, you know, for example, only young artists, studios. I really, it's like a really big range of artists and I guess geographies too. I'm quite lucky that a lot of the time I get invited to different countries and different universities to see the work. So that gives me a lot of material to work with in the future. But that's a luxury, I guess. Like you can do it like even in your own city and I do it in my own city, but I think I'm really lucky that I do get quite a lot of invitations to uh, through different culture institutes and universities. And I would say like, actually this is, for example, what the Culture Institute does in Lithuania as well. Like this is one of the most successful programs in order to ensure that local artists work is known abroad like if a country or a university really invites a curator and creates an opportunity for them to see the work of their artists it's really an advantage for the artists who who live there like especially in you know what are geographically quite marginal areas like Lithuania so if a curator comes from like you know if you're just walking around Vilnius like it's not so likely you'll bump into someone at an art opening as you would like in a bigger city but by bringing these critics and curators to Lithuania for example but there are many countries especially in Europe who do that so they really give an advantage to those artists, I would say. I don't know how it is in the Czech Republic. Maybe it's just the academies or something. Or do you ever, for example, as an artist, do you ever set up a meeting by like a Czech culture institute to meet like an international curator who's coming? So maybe it's not an existing program, I'm not sure. Uh, it's a bit more difficult in the Czech Republic because I'm technically I'm not Czech, so I'm just married married to a Czech woman. <laughs> no, but uh, you're based there. You have a job there. You're a part of a local art scene because the people who are based in Vilnius again, they're not all Lithuanian, and they still get connected through these programs. So, uh, to the best of my knowledge, that kind of program does not exist. But uh, that. It's possible it does. I just, again, I haven't connected to it, so it, they haven't been able to then connect me. Mm -hmm. And the in the academy where you teach, do they sometimes invite curators? Oh, yeah. Schools always are having visiting this and mm -hmm. that, you know, artists, curators, etc. But it, it's, it's that's limited to budget times, all kinds mm -hmm. of things. and and of course that as well. Yes, it's primarily for the students, not so much for the teachers to to get their own connections and networks. Mm -hmm. But that's their own set of issues.
So you were talking about the the like funding and support from from Lithuania. So is the Lithuania have good like governmental supports for, the, or is it private support for the arts? No, it's uh, it's really really essentially uh, just government support. Still, patrons, art patrons. It's not. It's like a really rare thing i would say it's it's starting to emerge like in the past few years so like now there was like this first private museum built that just opened two years ago but these are just some of the few initiatives and still they also benefit from government funding but obviously it's it's not maybe so much money so then there are other there are other networks too. There's European Union funds. So you kind of do a project with other museums, academies, art centers, consales. There's also this, uh, you know, Norway, Iceland, we're like in the Nordic Baltic sector as well. So there's that as well. Obviously you have to try with the private sponsorship, but anyway, it will not be a major part, you know. But what I really uh, appreciate about the Lithuanian culture funding is that they're quite generous about their scholarships. So what they do is like they give out like hundreds of scholarships every year for artists that are not so like supervised. So like the amount of like this stipend that you get each month as an artist, if you are successful, because it's again, still like not a hundred percent, but it's like maybe 40, 50% artists who apply get it, the scholarships. So it's about an average uh, monthly salary of Lithuania and it's not taxed. So you just write a project that you want to do and then you just work on it for maybe a year and each month you get the stipend. So I think that's like a really great way to do it, not just give it to institutions, but give it directly to the artists and then not ask them like later. Of course, we ask for some, like, how did you spend this money? But you can be quite free with that. I mean, you don't have to show like this receipt that like, you know, I spend this much on my studio, this much on like my camera. You can have quite a lot of freedom. So I think that's really important. And every two years you can apply for one. So that's one of the things that I've seen really working here that sounds fabulous i would love something like that yeah exactly so not just lithuanians can get it in in lithuania so if you're an international artist who wants to do a project in lithuania you can also apply good to know <laughs> something i forgot to ask which i usually ask all my guests which is sort of how did you even get to being a curator so like were your parents creative did you have some great teachers as in, in your youth like so like what was your upbringing that sort of brought you to this industry no i don't have any artists or curators in my family my parents studied statistics <laughs> and i even actually went to math high school so it was i guess by accident we had like a really great art history teacher and art history is not usually taught in high schools. It just happened to be that we had the subject. And then when I graduated, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do yet. So 
I chose Scotland because in European Union, you can study for free in Scotland, unless you're from England. Otherwise, everyone in England would study in Scotland. <laughs> Not to have any doubt, but yeah, I did do art history in Scotland, in St. Andrews, but I never thought I would go into curating. It was actually, I think, yeah, by accident. I was just, I just graduated. I was applying for very different jobs and I ended up, yeah, getting this year long position uh, that was meant for recent graduates uh, at the Tate. And it just got me really involved. So, yeah. And then I also worked with some artists uh, soon after graduating. So I spent some time in New York working with Jonas Macus and Barbara Hammer. And then I got this invitation to join Rupert, which was really great because you really have a lot of liberty to work with your own programs there and initiate something that you want to initiate. I would say some of these institutions in Lupine are not as hierarchical in a way as like the more established institutions in you know the States or in London. So yeah, I really enjoyed. Okay, you brought up a, a phrase. Okay. You know, you brought up a phrase that I that I'm. I just want to clarify. You keep saying you're invited, so like you were invited to the Rupert. You're invited to do exhibitions. You're invited to universities. Around. I'm sorry. Are you literally like just people, random people, just like send you invitations, or did you submit something and they approved it, or like you applied for something and they approved it? So I'm just trying to understand the vocabulary of that because like. <laughs> I'm not sitting here receiving just random invitations to do things like this or get new jobs. So is that a thing? So my first yeah, position that I like so at the date, I definitely applied. I went through quite a big competition. And all, also there was like, I guess, a bit of luck there because at the time the Tate was really trying to broaden their, you know, geography and for their acquisitions committees, they were like founding new committees. So they did, they had just founded, you know, a Russian Eastern European acquisitions committee, and they were looking for, you know, a person who could really research from that field. So I think I had like a little bit of an advantage. Obviously, I was probably wasn't the only one who applied from that area, but then it wasn't as bad. And after that, yeah, I, well, I guess it's also about the work that you do and people just kind of learn about your work and then it's a little bit easier. So like obviously when we would be inviting people to Rupert to speak or to do a workshop or to do something in a show, it was because like we've seen their work somewhere, we've read about it. So I guess like First, you have to apply, and then later, if your work is considered relevant, I hope, in what one field, then you have more invitations. Well, for example, uh, you invited me as well to your podcast, so that does happen. I didn't reach out to you <laughs> in a way. It's true. 
Yeah, it's true. Yes, indeed. What well, no, and the reason why I ask is because there there are little like vocabulary subtle differences. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, okay, the one that I one that I ran into is in the United States. If I say collaborate, mm-hmm. I mean two people or more will put in equal amount of time, equal amount of money, and equal amount of effort into a project. Whereas if I say collaborate with somebody in Europe, generally, they think I'm asking them to work for free. Mm-hmm. Like in what context you mean? Like if I'm an artist and I say like, hey, would you like to collaborate mm-hmm. on this project? They think I'm at saying work for free on this project when I really mean like, no, I'm going to, you know, we each put in equal amounts. It's a collaboration. It's an equal project. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a subtle it's these subtle little vocabulary nuances that I find again, like, so this sort of even goes all the way back to like grant applications and everything like this, because mm-hmm. there are little subtle word vocabulary differences between different regions and different cultures that they, they use the same word, but they really mean them in slightly different ways. That sometimes is difficult if you don't live in that culture or that language to understand exactly what they meant by it so like i've been i've been running into this a number of times with my applications Mm -hmm. where i i think they mean something because of the way i understand a word but really they meant it some other way completely and therefore i missed it altogether oh absolutely i i really have to agree with you on that yeah it's true vocabulary is very important and especially in the arts you know People are very sensitive to the words you use and to what you mean. So you have to be very careful about that. Yeah. And obviously, yes. And that's why I just wanted clarification. Yeah, absolutely. It's a tricky context in general about just like what you mean, like collaboration or work. And there are still like so many sensitive topics in the arts too. Like there are even countries where if you're participating in a show, like as an artist, you cannot get a fee. So like everyone gets, you know, a fee, like a technician, a communications person, invigilator, everyone gets the fee, but the artists by law, they cannot, and this is in Europe, you know? So, well, it's not just vocabulary issues, I guess, but there are a lot of like sensitive topics. So we should be very, careful and in the arts it's really like it's it's really an issue like a lot of please uh, tell me what's a sensitive topic oh like for me i uh, love sensitive topics for me uh, i mean i'm fine to speak about everything but um what i'm saying is like there's still so much you know injustice in a way and just because it like it's work in the arts yes a, a lot of people like do expect to not be paid you know as artists or as curators so well it's it's, yeah. it's well the uh, tradition of the, star- better, the starving hopefully. artist yeah we hope it's getting better i hope so too and like what you can do is you can only you know do it with your own work when you work with an exhibition and you work with like an exhibition budget you know, don't leave the artist's fee as the last priority, you know, like start from it, you know. And when the budget is low, like it's not about cutting down on the artist's fee, even like no matter how big the fee seems, like 
to work on a solo show, it takes like at least like half a year, you know, of really intense work for an artist. So, you know, even if uh, it seems like a high line in the budget, it still doesn't represent the, all the work they put in. Now, artist fees at this point are just a gesture, but they never cover the time and the energy and the costs and all that. Yes, but at least there should but be an artist start. fee. Yeah. Because not every institution thinks this way, you know? So. I'm an artist, so I'm all for artist fees. Great. <laughs> Do you ever organize any shows yourself, actually? No, I got asked to curate an exhibition last year, and it was it was um, it was just a ridiculously large thing that there wasn't uh, enough time to accomplish it well, and of course there wasn't enough money to put it together well. So I I didn't feel because well, and this goes back to something else. So like the reason why I I could have done it, you know, I could have done it, and it would have been fine, mm -hmm. but it wouldn't have been marvelous because i feel like and maybe i'm wrong on this but i feel like in the art world your name and your reputation is everything and so i'm of the opinion that i should not participate in something if it's going to be mediocre because i feel like it's going to hurt my reputation because my name will be associated with it i guess in a way it's true <laughs> You know, when, like, what's important for me, usually, yes, it's important that I do a good job, but also it's important that something looks interesting or relevant to me. So usually the type of proposal that I reject is if it's like, you know, you have to work with these artists in a show. And I can never say yes to a project like this, no matter how great the budget is, you know, if you can choose the artists you work with, then, you know, it's, it's not just, I just can't imagine working this way. Obviously if it's, if it happens, so that the, but it's never happened this way, but they would suggest to create a show with like this list of artists. And then it just happens to be, you know, really relevant to your practice. So. Hopefully, curator gets this freedom. Theoretically, yeah. Well, okay. Within that, so you you seem to work with universities and institutions. Do you do any curatorial work? What I would call sort of in in the market, so like in for profit galleries and things like this. And no, I haven't. I haven't worked with commercial galleries. But I'm really interested in what a lot of them do. And I think they like do something important, especially, yeah, like some galleries, like their work I really appreciate because it's run by really like knowledgeable people who really put the artists first rather than the profits. So I think they do great work. It just hasn't happened before, but I am connected to the subject of the art market. I do teach it sometimes because one of the reasons I think why, for example, in Lithuania, the, it was really hard to fundraise privately because people just, I guess, like the general audience, I mean, not art professionals, but they really didn't understand what like contemporary artists were working with, like 
why they were doing what they're doing, you know, and obviously the work, contemporary work doesn't always look, uh, I see, beautiful, you know, to them. So I understood that like, this is something that, you know, I could just like gather a group of people and try to share my knowledge with them through like a way that they find relevant and then they would catch on and, you know, support artists in a way through also buying their work. But I never really encouraged them to buy a particular artist or buy from a particular gallery. I really appreciate being independent and just like educating in a way. And then a lot of interesting things happen. So please elaborate on the art market. I'm totally lost on the art market. <laughs> I, I agree with the, the contemporary issue that a lot of the stuff is sort of traditionally, I'm putting in air quotes, sort mm. of traditionally not beautiful, but still important. And so like, it, it, I find my biggest sort of, my personal one is this sort of like, how important is the the concept versus the aesthetics, let's call it. So like whether something should be beautiful or whether something should be sort of powerful, emotional or important, like what's the, what are the characteristics that sort of are in play in contemporary art? Like, uh, can you just explain a little bit more? Like, what do you mean? Uh, what are the like characteristics? I can clarify. Yeah, thanks. What I'm talking about is, is basically does when art is being looked at contemporary art to be clear about this when contemporary art is being looked at what are the factors that people should take into consideration like you're talking about educating oh, okay. people yeah, yeah. about this so like should should they be looking at the the concept behind the mm -hmm. art and then interpreting like the thing or is it more important the aesthetics or is there a balance that should be struck between a certain amount of aesthetics and a certain amount of concept like where's mm -hmm. the current thing go going on right now yeah absolutely the idea of the work the themes discussed in the work it can't be the aesthetic too i'm not uh, downplaying it but i'm what i'm saying is like it's not just about that now, you know, who makes it like more realistic or uh, who has better skill. You know, a lot of the time, like artists don't even create the work with their own hands anymore. So, you know, it's not the most important factor to look for, which the general audience, at least like in Lipinia, doesn't even start to think about like, like before you start communicating it. But when you say, uh, like from an art market perspective, like then there are other things that should be looked at. I don't know if uh, you asked me from like more of an mar art market perspective, but there are obviously things, you know, even in the artist's CV that the person interested to acquire the work should look at. So there are many, many aspects that constitute this like, financially the value of the work of art so that's like another subject completely please elaborate mm. what should people be looking for in the cvs to help to whatever elevate the the artist or the the price of their works well it really depends but obviously the art market the the primary factor is also the demand so like it's not you know, in the CV, but just looking up 
like the prices that the works uh, by the same artists were already sold for, who has acquired them, if the work is included in important uh, collections of museums, of uh, some private collectors, like what prices they were sold for before. It can be, but it doesn't have to be like where, where the artist graduated from, which solo and group shows they had, which critics reviews it received in which publications. But obviously there are still like a lot of really, a lot of artists that are really appreciated by curators and appreciated by art critics, but they don't have like a big demand in the art market which is completely understandable because also not every format of the work is even easy to acquire, you know, like if you're buying a performance art or a piece or uh, it can be really complicated. There are works that are really hard to preserve. So I think, you know, the financial value of the work is not the only relevant thing. I think people should collect what they think is relevant, you know, just because the artist graduated from a certain academy or did a certain residency, it's not a reason, but obviously it is an important factor if you want to ensure that the value, financial value of the work stays the same or increases so it can be relevant. But I also sometimes buy works myself. So I really just do it based on the works that I find relevant and I don't really care about their art market value so much when I just acquire something myself because I just find meaning in the work and it speaks something to me. So that's that's the best you know, investment, in my opinion, if it really gives you like ideas, if it represents your values, if it inspires you, that's like the biggest thing you can get. Certainly. I collect things that I like the stories behind. Like that's my thing. Like I love, I love being able to have a story behind whatever is in my home. If it doesn't have a story, I see no reason to have it. I, I think that's a great strategy, actually. Yeah. Well, if it's no fun to like share with somebody else, like the story of a, either how I bought it or how I found the artist or what the artist meant by it, like some some interesting dynamic story, like that's boring to me. Yeah, <laughs> I like a story. It's, it's very personal, you know. For for every person, they really, if if it makes uh, sense to you, that's ultimately what matters. Any topics that you want to discuss that I haven't brought up or that you want to sort of expand on that I didn't let you expand on because I interrupted you? (laughs) I would just encourage everyone to go and meet the artists, actually, especially people outside, like who don't work in the arts, you know? A lot of the time they're like so afraid to just walk into an artist studio or open studios event. I think they just don't understand how much the artists and even curators like appreciate someone being interested in their work. I think don't be afraid to just see and ask 
and yeah, get to know more about what the artists and curators are working on in your region where you are. So yeah, I think it's really, you're not going to learn about contemporary art just by reading about it. It's really about seeing it in person and about hearing what the artist has to say about it. So, okay, wait, I have a question <laughs> from what you just said. <laughs> it's a clear, it's a clear question. I think this time. Okay. If an artist is trying to connect with a curator and sort of like these days, of course, because of the COVID and the pandemic and everything, the, a lot of virtual sort of studio visits versus physical studio visits. And also a lot of times we're trying to connect with curators in other locales, other lo countries and so on. How can people, artists effectively approach a curator who like, like, for instance, let's say mm -hmm. I'm in Prague and I want to approach you to do like a virtual studio visit to sort of get to know my work. Like what's an effective approach. So mm -hmm. like an email with a, a link mm -hmm. or an attachment and like, and, and what do I say? Like, hi, I love your, mm -hmm. your work. Mm -hmm. Like what's the, you know, what's mm -hmm. the right thing to say to actually engage with mm -hmm. you? I think uh, that in most countries, curators, at least the ones you find information about online, <laughs> are extremely busy. They're a lot of the times overworked. And this kind of cold email will not work. So what I would really try to do, I would really try to look at the programs in which the curator is already like involved in some ways. So there are maybe like five programs for which I usually like review artists' work through portfolios, through studio visits. So I usually just already devote time for that. And so it's much easier to reach a person uh, not through email because it's true that we receive a lot of those emails. And as a director, I definitely didn't have so much time to improvise on my day. So it could be really a lot of work lined up and even studio visits already ahead. So I didn't have time to just review portfolios when they were just sent by email. So I would just review the portfolios that were, for example, sent through for the residency. So I would go through all of them uh, twice a year. There are other programs where, again, I'm uh, offering studio visits or portfolio re reviews through. So usually if you just Google the person, like some of those things will come up. Another thing, yeah, if, if it's a, maybe a person in your own city, then you can just try to, you know, go to an art opening, speak to them there. But yeah, obviously... If it's like really, if the curator, you know, is working with the topics in your work, then you can try like in the case when like the curator is really researching one topic and you're producing work in that topic, it could work. It could interest someone. But if you just know, you know, it's an important curator, you know, or something, they do a lot of shows, but you're not necessarily sure, I would really encourage just to go through these things and even when the 
for example, uh, the application doesn't go through the residency's open call because the jury usually consists of, you know, several people, not just you as one curator. But even then, it happens that you really are interested in someone's work and you arrange a meeting. So, so just I would just suggest to apply for these things, not necessarily residencies, but for these programs and attend talks. There's some time to, to discuss things after. So yeah, I would say this is more relevant because it's, it's really, it shouldn't be taken personally that yeah, the email strategy doesn't work. There's just so much admin and other work that really the time that you're left to discover new artists is limited. So this goes for like both institutional curators and active independent curators. I love everything you said, because not only did you say cold emails are stupid ideas, but you also gave other ways to actively do it, which is great because this is what I think a lot of people are looking for. It's not only what doesn't work, but what does work. Yeah, it's definitely, but, but you're very right that you should still be active. So you should still be active, maybe not choose that strategy, but exactly, but still be active because yeah, this time where you're just waiting to for someone to discover your work, it's kind of, it's long over. So you should be active, but in, I guess, like the more, how to say, structured ways in a way, because that makes it easier for everyone. Like when you're a curator and you know you're like reviewing portfolios that day, you know, you're really open for that. And you're, you know, it's like, whereas you can receive this email and you're in between like uh, different tasks and, you know, it's a little bit out of context sometimes. So, but what I also want to say about like residencies and things like just apply, you have to apply seriously. If, even if you write like 50 applications, you just need to apply more like, there are people who applied like seriously like seven times to the residency before they got accepted. Uh, so it doesn't mean that like the work, if you just get a rejection, it doesn't mean that the work is not relevant. As I said, there are different juries each time, even in one residency, every jury is different and there are external jury members. And you never know when a person will come in who will be like, oh, you know, this is, this kind of research or this kind of work is really relevant to the project that I'm working with. And if the artist comes, then I can really get them involved. Fabulous. That's been great. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for inviting me, Matthew. It was great talking to you and hope to see you one day in Prague or in Vilnius. Mm -hmm.